Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Uh, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the 12-step programs that assists recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. I'd like to welcome Robert to the show. He's a member of Alan Family Groups, and he'll be sharing his journey of recovery from the family disease of alcoholism and talk about how Alan Family Groups has helped him cope with the effects of someone else's drinking. So, hi, Robert. Welcome to the show. G'day, Bill. Good to be here. So we usually start talking about growing up and the things that influenced us. So what was life like for you as a kid? And you know, do you want to talk about the sort of influences uh, of that of your early life on, on your later life? Yes, certainly. And um and I have to I have to jump back to being about five years old and and I was a, uh, an only child and uh, also on my own and, and I can um, remember being in, in, upstairs in, the, in my bedroom. We lived in a townhouse in Redfern in Sydney. Of course, come Friday or Saturday night, that's when the the uh, usual um, dramas would happen and always alcohol fueled between my parents, both of my parents were, from my point of view, uh, not that either of them would have, have, have ever admitted it or would have, and both of them are dead now, but both I saw both of them as alcoholic, morphine-addicted, gambling, sex-addicted individuals uh, or a couple, and, um, and there was a lot of violence. Um, my mother would insult my father, and then next thing, of course, then he would not be able to tolerate that, and he would start to be violent with my mother and I could hear this all this going on and I was absolutely terrified as a five-year-old you have no control over your parents it's the other way around and so I lived in in this fear and this fairly constant anxiety and I, I came to, to grew to be um anxiety was my companion and my motivator and just got used to it and I didn't even know about Al-Anon as a young person but I did come across a lady, and she was a friend of my mother's, and um, it was about twelve or fourteen, and my mother was really had been quite seriously, uh, she'd already divorced, um, and uh, and she'd thrown basically had thrown me away at the age of twelve. I was forced to choose between going with my my father or my mother, and I chose to go with my, my mother. I thought she needed me more, and I got a better deal out of with her. Uh, from a material point of view, um, to be to be totally honest. Next thing I know, we've gone out to a birthday party. She got drunk, and she's now arguing with the with the next door neighbour or the person who used to be our next door neighbour. And it was the normal alcoholic behaviour. Uh, next thing I know, I'm being thrown away. I overheard my my mother screaming at this this lady and saying, "Look, take him. I don't want him. Never wanted him. Uh, just get him out of the house and get him away from me." which is absolutely heartbreaking for a 12-year-old boy. And that pain stayed with me for quite some time, until about nine or ten years ago, um, and I'm 67. 
and I can remember very clearly being disciplined by my mother. She was she was the disciplinarian, and and I've had a number of wooden spoons broken over over me. And not only for being disobedient, maybe most likely, or um, or or just being a boy, then I would start to cry, and then I got another I got another hiding to stop crying. So I learned to suppress how I felt, swallow the pain, basically, until I got to about 12 or 13, I learned how to smoke, and that and that helped me uh, cover up my feelings. So I'll just jump back to when I was five. I can remember being five years old and hearing all this stuff that I had no control about. I was being sent to a, a, a Catholic school, so I was hearing about God and, and the Our Fathers and the Hail Marys, and I can remember saying copious amounts of Our Fathers and Hail Marys begging God to to fix my parents and he didn't he didn't fix them and that was a for a five-year-old that was that was you know that was pretty devastating because uh, then you know there was nobody I could turn to and it's interesting enough and I, can, and I can remember very clearly saying to myself well there is no God that was that was my my judgment of the situation and my and and I did my praying and nothing happened. So that and, that, and I'd made that decision based on that on that experience with my parents, uh, which is fair enough. When I came to about fourteen years old, this lady who who was a friend of my mother's and she was an Alanonian. She ran a um, a bingo hall in uh, in Sydney, and her husband was an alcoholic, and he ran a, an AA meeting, and they encouraged me to support my mother by by going with her to her. For me, well, it was a one and only AA meeting, and we sat through that meal. And I can, people were dead now, so there was people like Buster Bedez and Bobby Lim in this meeting, and there were all these famous people. And I'm going, wow, this is. And these people were telling the truth. I mean, I grew up in a in a in a household that the lie was supreme. If you could if you could convincingly lie, you can get away with it. If you believe my lie, I'll believe your lie, until they can't believe the lie anymore. So I became very, very masterful lying and deceiving. But unfortunately, my mother usually saw through my lies and deceives, and I, and I, and I copped it anyway. <laughs> That's pretty common. Yeah. <laughs> they can see us coming. So uh, as, as I can with my children, for that matter. So, you know, it's generational. Anyway, so, uh, but I became pretty good at it. And, and in particular, for me, I couldn't afford to tell anyone um, what was really going on at home. So I learned to lie about what was going on at home. Um, because, one, because I was afraid of losing my, my home and my parents, uh, which I, you know, I was watching happening, but I could have no control over. But I became really good at, at, at spinning a, a, a believable yarn to get by. But not getting too close either, because if, you, if people get too close, then they start to pick the faults in what you're saying. I knew that. I knew well that way. So you sort of keep keep people at a, at a distance as well. And I grew up that way. And uh, unfortunately, I deluded myself in thinking I was pretty clever at doing that as well. But still, can't control people. And unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever, however you want to look at it, I end up with a couple of addictions of my own later on in life, with smoking being one of them. And then I fell into gambling as well, which and that, which is one of the reasons I'm, I'm a, a GA member. And I and I have started Pokies Anonymous up here in in, uh, in Hobart. So um, it was very much attached to not dealing with my 
was my mother's alcoholism that was the real problem. My father was sort of in the background, but it was my mother who was predominantly the alcoholic as far as I was concerned. And the other aspect of it was money, which, I, which is probably why I was, had a gambling problem. But all the arguments that went on at home seemed to be about money. Every, invariably, every Friday, Saturday, about money one way or another. And so in my tiny, tiny little young mind, I developed a, a viewpoint, just stay away from money. Money, for me, money equaled problems and, and violence and anger and, and all sorts of distress, which set me up to be financially irresponsible, basically. Uh, and I couldn't handle money. As soon as I got it, I just spent it or gave it away or did whatever. So I, it was, it was a, um, uh, an addictive response uh, or an unconscious response to, to that because I did equate it to violence and anger and, and, and um, drama. And I didn't want any. Unfortunately, it, as I said, it, it, it set me up to be financially irresponsible and I found myself becoming a, a gambler in, in the consequence of that, which for me ended up, I ended up living on the street as a result of my, my gambling career. And all that was left for me, and, I, and I, my mind was completely gone. All I could think about was, was the gambling and my mother. And the reason for, for that was... When she threw me away at the age of 12, that was a horrific, horrific uh, reunion. Um, but when she threw me away, I can remember standing up at the top of the steps and saying, I will never forgive you for that. And I meant it. And interestingly enough, at that time, I also uh, knew it was the wrong thing to do. I didn't know why it was wrong, but inherently inside of me, I knew it was the wrong thing to do having no idea that forgiveness wasn't for the other person, forgiveness is for me. And I, I unvariably used that unforgiveness of her because it was that one person I, I could never forgive. I could forgive everybody else their faults and their, their problems and, and whatever they did against me. I was forgiving of everyone else except her, which led me to that point where I, I found myself living on the street, totally homeless and, and in great debt. And all I could think about was poker machines. And I found myself then asking, strangely enough, even though I said God doesn't exist in my five-year-old five -year -old wisdom, deeply inside I knew God was there. I knew God did exist. He just wasn't going to give me the life that I wanted. I had to live the life that he wanted me to live it's from, from the point of view that I could see. And I found myself begging God to help me forgive my mother because I knew I had to, but I didn't know how. And I had a fairly good idea of the 12 steps at that stage because I'd, I'd been to uh, a few AA meetings wondering if that was my problem. But I knew there was something wrong with me. Amazingly, invariably, what happened is over about a period of somewhere between three and Six months, my conscience was revealing how powerless I was over my gambling at the time and how powerless my mother was over her alcoholism, morphine addiction and her behaviour. That was an epiphany because I suddenly, suddenly realised she was just as powerless over herself as I was over myself. And in that in that understanding, I was able to forgive her. Yeah, it's quite a realisation, isn't it? 
the fact that I can't do something equates to somebody else can't do something. Yes, yes. Because we don't think like that. Yes, which, which brings me to the first step. Powerless over alcohol in life was unmanageable. And I understand that I am totally powerless over alcohol. I don't drink. Uh, and, and invariably, I mean, people say, oh, yeah, I haven't. I go, no, thanks. My mom, I watched my mum die, but I don't really like to, I don't really want to go down the same path. And people, people respect that answer very, very quickly. <laughs> and I, I'm not, I'm not really not interested. The only time I do is if, I, if I'm with my son and it's, and it's AFL grand final time and I might have a beer or a glass of wine, but that's about as far as it goes. I can't, yeah, I, I have no desire for it, which is very interesting. But the reason I ended up going to Al-Anon was about six or seven years ago. And because I found forgiveness for my mother, what happened was my magnificent forgiveness of everyone else disappeared. I suddenly had to deal with everybody else's issues and I found myself being highly judgmental of other people. I couldn't work out what the hell was going on. I thought, well, yeah, I, I, I know how to be forgiving. How, why aren't I forgiving? And I had a boss that was literally persecuting me, didn't want me there, and, 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 and that was in a voluntary situation. I didn't have to be there, but I knew I was supposed to be there. One day found myself, I, I found somebody on the street. I knew him as a, as a boy, and here he is as a 21, 22-year-old, black and blue, and he says, oh, Robert, how are you? He says, look, I've just been thrown out of jail. I've been in jail all night for, for being drunk and disorderly. And I'm going, right. Amazingly, I was suddenly a, a, a magnet for every uh, woeful alcoholic in town. I just seemed to be, I seemed to have this mag- magnetism for them. And he, he was one. And he's turned around. He's, got, he's gone, oh, you know, I've got pro- I think I've got a problem with alcohol. So I suggested that, you know, AA would be a good way to go. And if he wanted to, I'd, t- I'd go to an AA meeting with him for the first couple of times in support and he, and he thanked me and blah, blah, blah. We had a good chat. And next thing I know, his mother rings me up and thanks me for, for sending him in the right direction. And we talked for about an hour and it dawned on me, she needs to go to Al-Anon because I was aware of Al-Anon. I'm saying, look, I think you should, should have a look at Al-Anon. And, so, and if you want, I'll go, go to a meeting with you, if you like, never having never been to one. But I was happy to go to a 12-step meeting, not a problem. And ended the phone call, and I had that sudden epiphany. I realised I'm supposed to be going to Al-Anon. I'm a good candidate for Al-Anon. So I found out on Sunday night, and I walked in, sat down, they just started the meeting, this, this lady, she would have been 78, 79, 80, still runs her own business and, 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 and clearly been around in Al-Anon for a long time. And she said, and the, and the, the real problem for me was, was resentment. I couldn't handle my resentments. And she said, I didn't know how. And there was somebody here that said, all you got to do is pray for them. And I couldn't believe the synchronicity of, of the, the, that event, that occasion. Here I am looking to trying to work out how to deal with the resentment. And I mean, resentments where I'd be up till four, five, six o'clock in the morning having this imaginary argument in my head with this person because I couldn't handle how they were behaving towards me or how they were treating me. And I didn't know how to handle it. And I'm listening to it and I'm thinking, yep, I know that's it. That's it. Amazingly, it took me about another five or six months to, to humbly. <laughs> <laughs> humbly take that advice and try and do something with it. Yeah. 
Well, listen, we might have a short break. Let's maintain the rage. Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne invites you to join our first meeting of 2021 online on Thursday the 14th of January at 6.30pm. Become actively involved in ongoing campaigns to prevent more Aboriginal deaths in custody. It's an opportunity to learn, ask questions, offer skills and have a discussion. Join our team in working with families of Aboriginal people who have died in custody in their fight for justice. Message Ishta Melbourne Facebook with your email and we'll send through an invitation to join the online discussion. Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. your chance to tune in so come on come in live on thursdays 3 p.m 3cr 855 This is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then either head to your preferred podcast platform, iTunes, Spotify, or just Google 3CR Living Free. On our show's webpage, you'll also find details about the Living Free Show and how to contact us. I'm talking with Robert, and we're talking about recovery from the family disease of alcoholism with the help of Al-Anon family groups. So, Robert, we've just heard that you went to your first Eleanor meeting after recommending it to to someone else <laughs> in real terms. You know, you'd already been in Gamblers Anonymous, so you knew a bit about 12-step programs. But what's it like to come into a program where instead of about your relationship with your addiction, it's about your relationship with someone else, someone else's addiction? What's what's the difference for you? Well, because in there, in Eleanor, I heard... I'm powerless over people, places, and things. And I'm thinking, oh, no, really? Okay. And again, this, there's this powerless over a particular area. And, I, and I, I have no problem with being powerless over, over alcohol or gambling or drugs or whatever. But people, places, and things, well, hold on a second. And I think, oh, oh okay. So what is it about people that, that I um, am having a problem with? I had a boss in a, in a voluntary situation and, and she didn't like me. It was clear that she didn't like me. I mean, she and she said threatening things in in innuendo, and 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 it would lead me going downstairs to the kitchen where I did the work that I had to do as a kitchen hand, and I'd be trying to defend myself in an imaginary situation and trying to deal with this person, and and I'd be up until two, three, four, five, six o'clock in the morning trying to resolve this in my head by myself. And that was the problem. And, of course, the program talks about admitting to God and another person the exact nature of our wrongs. So I started sharing in, in meetings that I've got resentments and I, I'm not sure about that. And as I, as I opened up and brought those things out to light, because my pride didn't want me to, to, to admit that I can't handle this, and that's always a big, big stumbling block, the old pride, 
but that was the, the, the truth of it is that's exactly what was what was wrong and then finally after about five or six months of hearing it the first time I started and I and I sat down with God and go well you know what I don't know how to pray for this person I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to be praying for them for I don't feel like they deserve any prayer and of course it was my judgment of them that was the problem it wasn't them so much it was my judgment of what they were doing and how they were saying it and and, and how poor they were in managing me and you name it, or whatever judgment could come at forward came forward. And of course, I was confronted with my judgmentality. And that was the real issue. Yeah, it's a lot about taking offense at whatever people say and just, you know, not not letting it go. You know, whatever they say, it's it's a criticism and it's not it's not right. It's not fair. Not fair. It's not fair. <laughs> but amazingly, now and she and she quite persecuted me for about three, about three or four years there, and she actually warned me. She said, "She said you just you just watch your back," you know. She actually said those words, "Watch your back," and that was in the first first or second day that I was there. So she took an instant dislike to me for some reason. I I still don't know to this day what it was, and I thought that's a very poor way to manage. And of course, that that's how I kept it in in there. But having heard this advice of praying into my resentments and praying for the people that I resent, I finally gave in because it was almost, I was just losing too much sleep and that was impacting on my efficiency or lack of. So I started praying for this person and I start, and I actually did go to the Bible and search through to look for, look for ways to pray and, and I found it in the, the old Lord's Prayer and it was the lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. And the hunch in me said, that's the one. So every time I thought of her, and I can assure you, it wasn't a, a, a sexist issue because I've had a number of female bosses who were absolutely fantastic. You know, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't ask for better bosses with, with them, but this lady had no idea. Then every time I thought about her, when I went to bed, if, I, if, if she came up in my mind, I'd just pray that. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. Interesting enough, it was when it first started, it was lead me not into temptation and deliver me from evil with this person. But in actual fact, the prayer actually says lead us, U.S., them and me. And lo and behold, within about a month, I suddenly started feeling this sense of peace about it. I thought, wow, that's interesting. And that stayed, that maintained. And I thought, well, that's, that's good. So immediately then that became a really good tool for me. And as soon as she came up to mind or I had to face her, I'd pray that in my head and quietly under my breath and everything was good. And, I, and all of a sudden I wasn't tripping over my own feet or my own, or my own tongue, for that matter. And I was just moving forward. And about six weeks later, she turns up and says, oh, I've come to say goodbye. Oh, what do you mean? I've been made redundant, which, which in, in the industry I'm in means I've been given the sack. They, they can't find any work for me. You know, it's like, what? And I, I, and I actually did feel, because I, 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 I got peace about her, I actually felt sorry for her. That worked. I can't deny it. And, and, and of course, there have been a number of other people since where I've had a resentment. And I prayed the same prayer that not necessarily, they don't necessarily get fired, but the situation changes quite amazingly. Even last or this last night and this morning, I work with a with a man in the mornings. He's 82 and he still runs his own business as a 
as a um, he's a cabinet maker, and um, he lets me be there in his shop, and and I help him. And he's very old school, and he can be quite critical in his in his comments, and I get frightened. And that's and that's where it is for me. It's it's that my resentments come from being frightened or feeling guilty, and then becoming judgmental. And I next thing I know, I'm, I'm resentful. And I really appreciate being with this guy. He teaches me a lot. And I get to make a lot of things and, and do a lot of things as a result, even earn a little bit of money with some jobs I do for other people. But just yesterday, he made some very cutting, critical comments, which played on my mind all afternoon and all night. And I kept on praying that prayer. This morning is normal. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, good. And everything was fine. Whereas if I didn't, by the time I turned up this morning, I would have been ready for a fight, for a verbal argument, which is really interesting. Yeah. I, th- I think it's that um, also the ABC, absence, blackout, compassion, that just because somebody says it doesn't mean that you have to take it. You know, you can just let it you know, wash over you. And, yeah, don't take it personally. Yeah, that's right. You don't have to take it personally. It's just they, they can't cope. It's they can't cope with a situation and you're the nearest thing. So you you you, you get it. And so it's it's not necessarily you, but we often take offence because we think it's about us because we're so self-centred. We think it's about us, and we think it's our shortcoming, and we think it they shouldn't have said it, and it just all goes down the gurgler. Because the more I dwell on it, the more likely I am to twist my thinking for the next time I see them, as you say, and it becomes a point of conflict. Exactly. And for me, it leads back to the 11th step, sought through prayer and meditation. And for me, that particular experience of praying for someone because I had a resentment, suddenly the whole program, it didn't matter whether I was in GA, Pokers Anonymous, Gambles Anonymous, or in Al-Anon, it made great sense to me. And I understood what the program was about then. And it boils down to those relationships with other people. And because I used to use smoking to hide my feelings, to cloud my feelings and not have to deal with them, and it's now th- almost three and a half years I haven't had a cigarette. And that's what, ha- I mean, that's where it really came to bear my conscience. And I was conscious of what I was thinking and why I was thinking it, and I didn't have the tools to deal with it. And that's where, I, and that's where Alan came in and gave me those few tools. And, and the cliches, you know, let go, let God, easy does it. Live and let live. You know, the live and let live is, is about judgmentality, which is fantastic. And those simple little tools that make such a difference. Keep it simple. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's about living again. Yes. And getting back out there and being part of something that you've sort of avoided or shunned uh, for some time and being courageous enough to get out there and actually be part of it again. And just you know, be part of the world and not be against it. Yes, I look and I and I'm all for that today. And that's the beauty of the Serenity Prayer, which you can see behind me on the wall there. God granted me the serenity. He granted me the courage, the ability to change me. I don't have to change anybody else, but I have the ability through prayer and meditation to change me. Wow, that's great. <laughs> Yeah, or you have the ability to be changed. Yes, 
and the humility to, you know, my pride was got in the way so many times. And amazing, interestingly enough, my parents were pride addicts, for, for want of a better description. And I knew it was wrong. I knew I knew to shy away from it. But once they passed away, I didn't have their negative example to, to lean on. And all of a sudden, I was lost. But today, I'm found again. From being a, a financially irresponsible person, by, by owning up to that financial irresponsibility and being open and honest with it, I'm the treasurer of my Eleanor meeting. I'm the treasurer of the Pokies Anonymous meeting. I have money saved in the bank. I've never been able to do that in my life. The ability to be honest and open about what's really going on just makes a huge change. I don't have to tell lies or stories or deceive anyone anymore. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Plus, you, you don't have to remember who you told the stories to. Oh, yes. <laughs> and I don't have to remember what I told this person and then what I told that person. It's the same truth for everyone. That's right. Yeah, it's very simple. It's... <laughs> Yeah, that was that that was always the problem for me. I, you know, be telling so many stories, you just wouldn't know who you told what to, and eventually somebody would you tell a different story to the, uh, the same person, and yeah, it was it was gone. Yeah, and that's the beauty of this program. I mean, because it reflects back on on AA, and AA is about doing the steps, saying the serenity prayer, and being honest which means being truthful with what's really going on inside and sharing it with God and another person. Once you've stepped over the line and started doing it, it becomes easier and easier and easier and life just gets better. Yeah, it does. So tell me a bit about being in Alaron. So how did you find you fitted into the group? You know, the group's a, a pretty positive component in 12-step meetings, but you don't get on with everybody necessarily, but the group carries everybody along. So what was it like for you? It was really strange because I had some very strong understandings of how a 12-step recovery group was supposed to operate. <laughs> and they weren't doing it. They weren't doing it correctly. So I had to go in and fix them. <laughs> how, how did they react? Well, they talk about, they'd actually bring that up, you know, sort of like, you know, I, I, I needed to stop fixing people. Some of the times I said that it was for my benefit, it wasn't. <laughs> but I, didn't, I was so exhausted and, um, and browbeaten by my own resentments. I couldn't see, I couldn't see, you know, the, the wood for the trees in, in, the, in the initial part. But I kept on hammering, hammering about, uh, for me, it was about the honesty and it was about practising the steps. So I wasn't hearing much about practising the steps, so I was standing on guard for the steps and bringing that up And because and I, I knew they worked. I knew they worked. I just didn't know how they worked in, in, in my particular uh, need at that particular time. And I was the only man in a room of 12, 12 women. And, of course, here I am. I'm one out again. <laughs> Yet again. What? <laughs> Me against the world, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'll fix you. <laughs> just just bring your, bring all your troubles and I'll fix you. <laughs> and the beauty of that is I got fixed. You know, um, it's really interesting. It's, it's five years down the track. Um, and I'm a affectionate member of, the, of, of my group because I think they actually can see the changes. 
Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the big things about being in, in a group for a while is seeing people come in and see them change and see them relax in themselves and get on with their life. And it's really, you know, it's really very pleasant, you know, seeing people, if you like the, the term, grow up, grow up from being very immature to being mature about themselves. Yes. And that's, that's the beauty of, the, of, of, a, of any 12-step recovery group. And I hit upon this about 18, 19 months ago when, I, when our group, our other group started to um, to expand and we got, instead of three people, we had nine and 10 people. And it dawned on me, one of the, the most healing things in in the, the 12-step recovery group, irrespective of which, which flavor it is, was in being honest with what's really going on inside and having and finding that courage that God gives in that serenity prayer to share the truth about what's really going on, my ears hear what I'm saying. And when my ears hear me tell the truth, it sticks. Whereas before it couldn't because of the, all the lies that were going on inside of me, I didn't believe what I was saying, let alone anyone else. So why, why should I listen to me when I know it's all bullshit anyway? But when you start telling the truth and you can hear that and you can hear it's being accepted in a room with other people who know who experience what you've been experiencing, it has an amazing effect on changing me. That's where I change. And I think the other thing about that is when you hear yourself tell your story in a, an uncritical way, you understand it better because from my experience, I, I never told my story except it was their fault. And when you tell your story, when you're the actor, you're the one who's reacting and you're the one who's you know, doing the stuff, you go, oh, yeah, I think I'm part of the problem. Which is how I felt with my parents. I, I felt guilty that I couldn't fix them. I felt guilty that, that I didn't know what to do. But I also knew if I, if I went to one of my teachers or to, a, to another adult to a responsible and told them what was going on at home, I pretty much was convinced that I would probably lose my family. Yeah, and that's probably right, yeah. Yes, so yeah, you, you're, you're between a rock and a hard place and that's, and that's, that's a place where, I, where you find God. Yeah. Okay, well, so we might take another break there. Hello, we're the Community Union Defence League. And we're a community organisation stepping up to support our communities and serve the people in building community power. We currently run two street kitchens in Dandenong and the CBD, where we provide food, clothes and essential items to the homeless. We're open to everyone and entirely community run, so if you're interested in donating, volunteering or just coming down for a chat, please check out our website at cudl.org.au or find us on social media. A 3CR supporter. From a private life so public As the tabloids caught your tears Being photographed How sad, how tragic But it doesn't have to be that way On the Burning Vinyl Alternative Music Program Burning Vinyl, Fridays, 2 till 4pm On 3CR Oh, living free. 
this is the Living Free Show on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Uh, and today I'm talking with Robert about recovery from the family disease of alcoholism with the help of Al-Anon family groups. So Robert, you've been in Al-Anon for a while. Life was improving. You were realising honesty was a way around your dilemma of who you told what and helped you to sort of um, connect with other people. So do you want to talk a bit more about, so I guess, the difference between honesty in a group setting and honesty out in the w- real world? Yeah, well, um, I think most of us would know that, that we've very quickly learned as a younger person or when, when, al- when alcoholism being practised in the, in the family and the disease was rampant, you don't tell your friends because if you do, they look at you with horror and they, and they avoid you very quickly. So you learn very quickly not to do that, uh, and then you, of course you're, you're again you're you're in you're in a, in a locked into a tree between a, a rock and a hard place, and that opens you up to denial. Um, so practicing honesty in a recovery program setting and and learning to be honest with what's really going on with me, not what's going on with the alcoholic uh, or the or the or the all the drama or the disease, but what's really going on with me. And learning that I can deal with me in that setting gives it, well, it's a new life. It's a newfound life and it's truthful. It's about truthfully being able to deal with my situation and what, what I'm, and if I've got a problem with something, I can go and say, look, I don't know what to do here. You know, having the humility to say, I don't know. Yeah, I really don't know. And that's that's been a, a really major, I guess, change for me. Where, where I, I grew up living in my parents' expectations. I was, there was no instruction. I was expected to know what was expected without any instruction. And that's, that's how it was, yeah? Yeah, you had to figure that out without anybody telling you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and no more. And I go, well, you know, um, and I, I found myself, as a result of, of the recovery programs that I attend and the meetings I go to, my ability to be honest with what's really going on then gets reflected back in everyday situations. And with the woodworking, I go, uh, Rendo, I don't, I don't know what to do in this. I, I can see what has to be done, but I don't know how to go about doing it. And he goes, oh, that's easy. Let's do this and do that and do that. And I go, oh, okay. Where... Eight years ago, I would have been trying to show him how clever I was in working it out. And I'd mess it up and he'd come over and go, what the bloody hell are you doing? I didn't dare say, I'm trying to, tell you, trying to show you how clever I am. <laughs> so, and, that's, and that's not just with, with him, it's with anything. Because I'm, I'm involved with a, with a, uh, a volunteer organisation. We feed the homeless on a, on a daily basis. So I'm, I'm part of that. And I look after the kitchen every day. And... Sometimes I need help. And today I'm able to go, okay, this is too much just for me. I need some help. And I can, I can actually go on and ask for help to make sure that things happen so that the guy gets tonight. And it's taken all that anxiety, that where, where anxiety was my closest friend, I hardly see it anymore. He's gone. You know, if, I feel, if suddenly I feel anxious, I know I better ask for help because... I'm faced with something I actually don't know what to do and I need to, instead of trying to work it out for myself, 
I, I, can, I can work, I can ask someone to help me with it. And, you know, for me, that's, that's partly uh, that humility, I, 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 level of humility I've got today, I owe to Alamon, I owe to the, the steps, I owe to the other, uh, the other two uh, recovery programs I, I, get, I, I go to. I'm able to be honest and truthful about what's going on inside of me. And that just makes all the difference in the world. I don't have to hide anymore. I was really good at hiding. I can't do it anymore. Yeah. How has it impacted your relationships with your family? Uh, look, really well for me um, because they, 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 they suffered the, the um, indignity of me, of me being living on the street and, um, and being penniless and in debt. Luckily, they weren't living with me or I wasn't living with them, but they certainly didn't know what to do and didn't know. And, and of course, there's a distrust that happens with that. Whereas today, I'm honest and open with both my son and my daughter and my grandchildren. And I get comments like, I love talking to you, Poppy. And I go, okay, cool. And I think, wow. Whereas nine, 10 years ago, they wouldn't dare open their mouth because they, 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 they couldn't believe what, what I, the response that I'd come up with and it'd be some fabrication or I'd be mute. I couldn't answer the question because if I knew if I opened my mouth, I'd be, I'd be caught out and I didn't want to do that either. So, you know, there's, and, and there's, dis, there's so much distrust that happens as a result of that. Today I'm trusted. Yeah. So there's a link between honesty and trust. I, I think the honesty has got to come before the trust. Yes. But once the trust is there it's easier to be honest as well. Yes. Because you don't feel defensive. Yes. And, and for me, I had to take, I had to accept responsibility for, I can't blame anyone else for my lying. Where, where I used to at one stage, because I, I didn't want to own it, but today I can. I learned to lie really well and I was good at it, but it didn't serve me. Far from it, you know, um, slowly but surely learning to tell the truth uh, about how I am and who I am and where I'm at. If I'm tired, I'm tired. You know, I don't have to present a false image of how I am. I can just tell you exactly how I am and that's okay. It's not a problem. I can accept it. If you can't accept it, that's your problem, not mine. Yeah, I used to be a very good excuse maker. When I came into Al-Anon, somebody said to me fairly early on that, Mature people don't expect excuses. And I thought, oh, all those years, I've wasted my time <laughs> making up excuses and all these mature people didn't expect one anyway. Oh, dear. But that's the thing. It's the, the excuse was always blaming someone else. It was, it was never my fault. And, you know, I think the, you know, the honesty is about acknowledging that the reason I'm late is that I did a couple of extra things and... I forgot that I was coming and there was traffic. But, you know, the lie is it was the traffic. And I think that's the thing of just, you know, being able to acknowledge a bit, a bit more that my thinking isn't perfect and I do make mistakes and my judgment isn't always perfect. So things happen. But just to acknowledge that, yeah, that's, 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 the way. that's me. My memory is not perfect either. I do forget things. As, as humiliating as it might be, I, and today I can just say, oh, look, I'm sorry, I forgot. However, they may take that. I can't, I, can't, I can't control that. But I can't say the truth and go, you know what, I'm sorry, I forgot. I haven't had anyone hit me over the head about that yet.
Now, it's, it's strange. For all the things that we think can happen, it's, you know, it's very rare that something actually does, that we get a really bad reaction. It's, um, it's usually something right out of the blue, not, not, a normal not, not a normal process. So do you get involved in service? Yes. Um, I, I, well, one of, I mean, I'm the treasurer of my group, um, and, I, yeah, and um, I keep it really simple. One and one makes two. Can't, you can't get away from that. It has to make one and one must make two. So I, you know, right down to the one cent, I'm spot on with that. And the others, I mean, because I live very close to where, where we meet, uh, I go and open up and get everything ready uh, so that people can just arrive and, and, and start to feel comfortable because we all know how uncomfortable it is when you go to your first meeting and you listen and you, and you, and you feel that pressure of when are they going to ask me, you know, <laughs> so you try and make it as comfortable as possible, and, and without it, without any drama. <laughs> but I used to hate that way. You know, you, you'd watch, you'd watch people, and it's coming, it's coming around, and it's coming around, and it's, and then it's there. <laughs> and what am I going to say? Am I going to make any sense? Yeah. Oh dear. And today, it's just tell the truth. It's simply tell the truth, and that's all okay. That's enough. All you have to do is share your experience. Yeah. Experience, strength, and hope. Yep. So, being in Allen for a while, do you have any, I guess, any goals? Is is there anything you're sort of looking to do that you haven't done yet in life? Well, yes, I am an artist. I've got a bachelor of fine arts, majoring in painting and ceramics. So it's one of the reasons I'm with this this gentleman, this uh, cabinet makers. I'm, I'm I'm making unique, one-off, individual frames for paintings that I want to make. And he's guiding me to make sure that I, I make them well, and that's I'm really grateful for that. And that's a it's a, a slow, you know, a day at a time thing. You know, I, I'm making a bit here and a bit there. Plus, on top of that, I, I'm I'm doing some restoration work for one of the for one of the antique shops here in town, um, recaning chairs for them and, and doing some repairs. Uh, so I earn, earn a couple of extra dollars, which go towards materials. And I'd like to do that. I'd like to. I'd like to have that exhibition, and, and I'm uh, working, as I said, one, one day at a time towards that. With and and for me, it's um, interestingly enough, where it used to be, the motivation would be to show you how wonderful I am, <laughs> and, how, and how clever I am. <laughs> Not at all. Today, it's about being able to see some things that other people don't see, and sharing that with people, truthfully. Just simply sharing it, and that—that's the other thing um, that, that I think is was the magical revelation in in, in Al-Anon and in twelve step groups in particular, is where I used to speak to either impress you, help you to feel sorry for me. Today I just share with you what's what's truthfully going on, and that's that's it's the ability to share the truth makes all the difference in communication completely. Yeah, because you're not, you're not trying to work out a story. You make, you're not trying to make something up, yeah, which takes a lot of brain power. Well, oh, listen, and, and um, I mean, I can remember uh, being hauled into the, the principal's office with my parents one day because when we came back from holidays, we were asked to do a one-page essay on, on what happened during the holidays. And I made up this absolutely unbelievable story of going to Disneyland and going here and doing this. It was just in, insanely impossible. But it sounded good to me as a 12-year-old at the time. 
And I can remember this really embarrassing moment where the, the principal hands over my essay to my parents and just looks at them and they read it, look at each other, look at me, and I go, I'm in trouble again. I don't know why. What, what, you know, I just, it's just an essay. But it was supposed to be about what we really did on our holidays and it was just a total lot of bullshit. So, so <laughs> Interestingly enough, yet again, no one said, Robert, why did you why did you do this? You know, why didn't you just tell you're thinking, yeah. One of those silent, silent experiences. You walk out of there and you go, and you're sort of waiting for the, the, the clip over the back of the head, which never comes, and nothing's said. It's just you walk off into the into the into the horizon, into the never never. <laughs> okay, well, we might leave it there. Um if anybody's interested, they can contact Alan on Family Groups. Uh, there's an Australian number, 1300 252 or you can go online at alanon.org.au. Um, that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Robert for joining me and sharing his Alan Family Groups recovery experience with us. Thank you, Robert. You're welcome. Thank you, Bill. Uh, thanks for listening. Stay safe. Stay tuned for more Radical Radio on 3CR. Yeah, yeah, so I was going right on 100. The sun was just starting to go down right on dusk. It just jumped out on me. It's like it didn't even know I was there. The chances are it didn't. Because to Victorian wildlife, our road is just another part of their home. It's our job to drive safely to protect them. To report a wildlife collision, call Wildlife Victoria on 8400 7300. A safe drive saves our wildlife. Supported by TAC. A 3CR supporter. Don't have a million dollars and still want to have a good education for your kid? Tune into the Dogs Program. We are the defenders of government schools. 12pm on Saturdays here on 3CR. 855 and AM Dial podcast streaming live on 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. We defend government schools because they need it.